you know, there are a few moments in life where maybe because of circumstances, it kind of causes you to pause and think and you go, what am I doing here? Like, what really matters? Like, why am I here? You know, and when I pass, when I move on, what am I leaving behind for my family, for my friends, for just anyone? Like, what is this? Why are we here? Is it just so that we go to school, get a job, make some money, make some more money, die, leave it to our kids? Like, is that, is that it? Like, what is this? And God, what are you trying to do? Those moments where you can slow down and go, God, why am I here, are priceless. Even though a lot of times those moments are reflective because of something painful or because of loss, there's something infinitely valuable about saying, I don't want to waste another decade. It's, it is weird. Like before you know it, you blink and you go, another decade went by. And you go, what did I do in that decade? And how did I, how did I live it? How did I live for Jesus in that? And did I, is, is there anything there that will have eternal weight and value to it? I'm forever grateful for those moments. We had a, a scary moment this year with our son, Wyatt, and my wife had to spend six nights in the PICU. And I remember just every night, you know, putting another two to bed and my wife's in the hospital, we're on the phone and I'd just go in the backyard and think and pray. And you're like, what is this? And life could have changed for us in a second. And you're thinking, what am I doing? And what am I showing my kids? And what am I leaving them? Like, what is this about? One author said something about legacy I thought was so profound. He said, legacy is not leaving something for people. It's leaving something in people. How do we not just leave something for them, but something in them? And I think that this has to start today. Legacy, like leaving a legacy is not something you do at the end of your life. David might be, yes, at this moment in time, uh, sharing some final words, giving some final direction. But however, we know throughout his whole life, he was establishing a legacy. It doesn't start later. We have to see this starts today. And don't think like, I'll think about my life. I'll think about this later in life. The Bible does have a lot to say about this. Like how a good name or a good reputation is better than gold. It's better than riches. So what is that reputation? What is that name? What is that reputation? What is that legacy you're leaving behind? That's not wrong. So think about that. It's like, God, what is this about? What am I doing here? And again, it starts today. I always think of that famous um, uh, Emerson quote. He says, sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an act, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. This idea, though, it starts with the thought. If you want to reap a destiny, it starts with a thought. It starts with an act. That act has to be repeated, then habit, then character. You know, when you think about this, um, we don't spend a lot of time waking up in the morning and thinking about like our character formation. It's hard. You don't look at, you're just like, I got things to do. I got kids to take care of or bring to school or bills to pay or I got to get to work. But not a lot of us are thinking about like, what, what character am I, God, are you producing in me? And, and how, do I, how do I develop that and grow that? And I think that David is reflecting on his character. He can acknowledge his sin, which he does in our text, but he's like reflecting and looking back and we, we go, okay, this, this so matters. It starts, it truly starts today. So here's what I want to see as we kind of walk through this because um, legacy just simply means something handed down from one person to another. What are we handing down from generation to generation? What are we passing on? If people were to like, summarize your life story, how would they summarize it? And it, for David, he had an opportunity in a sense to like, hey guys, build a monument to me. I'm obviously the most important figure we've ever had. So, but no, he goes, I'm going to build a temple. I want to build something for God, not for me. We're going to build this. I can't build a temple, but Solomon, you can. And I've done everything really necessary to, to make this go well. 
So here's the points we're gonna walk through today. We're gonna look at the text. I'm gonna share them with you so you can kind of get a head start. Here's the points. Uh, a legacy, legacy leaves a pattern. Legacy leaves a purpose. Legacy leaves a plan. Legacy leaves a promise. All right, this is kind of what David's showing. Legacy leaves a pattern. It leaves a purpose. It leaves a plan. It leaves a promise. We'll walk through this. Number one, legacy leaves a pattern. Let's read verse one through eight. Legacy leaves a pattern. Here's what David does. First Chronicles 28 verse one. You guys ready? Yes, you with me? Okay. Chapter 28, verse 1, it says, David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that serve the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the warriors, all the seasoned warriors. Verse 2, it says, then King David, so everyone's there. Then King David rose to his feet and said, hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparation for for building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name. You are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader and in the house of Judah, my father's house and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord of Israel. He said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. This is his legacy. Let me explain. Uh, David gathers all the people and he's like, I wanted to build God a house. And we, we actually studied that story. We looked at it in depth. He was unable to because of what he did with Bathsheba. And this text also said because the man of war, he had blood on his hands. He's like, I want this to be the focus though, that God has a place, that God is here, that God is among us. So I'm not allowed to build a house, but all of you guys are gonna come along my son and help him build this house for God forever. David is basically saying, here's what matters most. He's saying, let me show you what I value. I need you, I need people to see this. Like we know that sometimes things are caught, we know we are more than taught, right? That idea of like, I wanna show you what really matters in life. And this is so important because people remember Kids remember, you know, our kids, parents, you know this, but our kids remember everything, like everything. Like you said three weeks ago that you would take, and I'm like, how do you remember that? Like, how do you remember? They remember the weirdest things. There's a very traumatic story with my son that you probably shouldn't ask about him. It's a zip line story where according to him a few years ago, dad pushed him down a zip line and tried to kill, kill him. Like that's how he remembers it. He had nighttime, he goes, remember that time you tried to kill me, dad? I'm like, oh my gosh. And he tells the story all the time. I'm like, I, your mom told me to push you. I give you a little push and you were, it was literally like seven feet high. I'm like, your feet were like three feet off the ground. You're fine. But his mind, like, you try to kill me. He will not forget that. Still brings it up. Probably until I die, he'll talk about how I try to kill him. It's funny, but kids remember that. They remember everything. They remember all the, they see that, they pick up on it. And this is what David's like, son, I'm, I'm leaving you something. I want you to remember this. Do not forget this. Here's the point, and here's what I want us to see when it comes to this pattern. David is showing us the pattern he's trying to leave. Legacy leaves a pattern. What's the pattern? He's showing us we need the presence of God more than anything. This is what David is essentially saying. I want to find a house for the ark of the, for God's footstool, for God to rule and reign, for God to meet with us, connect with us. David is saying, we need the presence of God among us more than anything. 
Okay, if, here's another P word, just in case you're saying, there's a, there's a problem, there's a problem with this whole idea of legacy. The problem is David's gonna die. Here, here's what I want you to see. This is actually incredibly important. Please don't miss this. David is essentially the most significant person among Israel outside of Moses. You think about what David did. The, 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 all 12 tribes being together under one ruler, under one king, that's under David. That wasn't under Saul. That's under David. Where they're all like, yes, we're in agreement. He's the king. I mean, he's defeated the Philistines over and over again. He actually brought us into Jerusalem. Like this is our capital where he wants to build now the temple in Jerusalem. That was David. David is so significant. This has kind of been the person where people feel connected to God because of David. And David's going to die. I don't know if early on, this is something for all of us. Early on in your faith, um, I'm very thankful for different men and women in my life who pointed me to Jesus. And like early on in your faith, you kind of feel close to God because of those people. There's some people that are really significant to me. But something they try to repeat over and over again is, I'm going to (laughs) die. And you know what? You won't always have me around. And your connection to God is not because of me. I'm not the bridge, even though sometimes we as people can make humans the bridge to God. But we have a different bridge to God. His name is Jesus. Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But the point being that I think so often we can do this. We attach ourselves to a leader. Then what happens? Leaders can fail us. Leaders can die. And then you go, well, I don't feel close to God. Or maybe you don't say that. Or maybe you don't sense that. Or you don't say that out loud. But there is that maybe idea. I think what David is doing is incredibly brilliant and beautiful. He's like, I'm going to die. What we need is the ark of God. What we need is the presence of God among us. It's not so much that you need King David. Yeah, like he's been the guy that's defeated tens of thousands. Like they wrote songs about him. Like they they sung in the street about David, how he slayed tens of thousands. He's going to die. This is so significant. And he's like, but you know what? I'm leaving you something better than me, God's presence. There is something about this. You know, I've been thinking about this for my son for our kids as they grow up, this idea that, okay, I have so many years before they move off, before they go on. Parents who have older kids, you know this, they're going to go off to college, they leave. I won't be there. I won't know what they're doing, saying, like, Whoa. and sometimes, and that's not, that's not that freaky, but you kind of think about, like, oh my gosh, I trust, like, their character, like, not right now, hopefully in 10 years. But you look at that, and what I'm thinking is, I won't be there, but what can I leave him? I can leave him this understanding that God is with him, and not in this, like, God is watching kind of way, but, like, God loves you. He can't take his eyes off of you. He's with you. He cares for you. He loves you. God is with you, son. This point of, like, I won't, I, I won't always be here. I won't always be there to give advice. But how can I point him to the one that will never leave him nor forsake him? David is basically saying, we got to build this house. Solomon, you have a son, everyone here. We have to build this for God. Because what matters most, the pattern David is saying is, leaders come and go, but the word of God and God himself is with you forever. And this is what we need. We need the presence of God more than anything. Parents, followers of Jesus, any human, ever. The best pattern you can leave anyone is showing them to fight for the presence of God. We just need the presence of God. More than anything, more than action, more than, we need the presence of God. Build God this house. Why? Because we need his presence. Now, this is for them then. For us today, the beautiful thing is the temple is not made with hands. It's actually, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How beautiful is that? That God does not dwell in a temple made with hands, but now he dwells in us. Way more significant. That God lives and dwells in me and in you. That we are this spiritual house that God is forming and building together, but the Holy Spirit dwells in me and you. That is so significant. But what we need more than anything is that understanding that we need the presence of God desperately. I believe this is the first pattern he's leaving in his legacy. 
Legacy leaves a pattern. We need the presence of God. Number two is this. I actually want to put this out in verse one through eight. The, the second thought is David is honest about his sins and shortcomings. I got to point this out. Um, when it comes to leaving a legacy, it's actually okay. And it's, it's actually necessary. Like be honest about your sins and shortcomings. He's like, I want to build God a house, but I'm a man of war and a man of blood. I can't do that. There is something beautiful about that. You know, I'll say this. What I love about the Bible is the Bible never really hides away from anyone's sin. Like the Bible's never like, you know, let's just brush it under the rug. Actually, it's like, and this person like did some terrible, like when you read the scriptures, like all of these people were crazy messed up. And the Bible's not trying to like shy away from that. It's actually something too, where my wife and I are talking about this. Like, I don't know how many times I have to apologize to my kids all the time. Like all the time. Like daddy didn't handle that very well. <laughs> you know, like you're kind of like, when this was, I, I could have done better. And there's something so beautiful. There's something that it needs to be seen. People need to see like, oh, like they actually owned it, apologized for it, came back. You know, the Bible doesn't try to paint David necessarily as this perfect, sinless guy. Again, at his best, David reminds us of Jesus. At his worst, he reminds us of our need for Jesus. And there's something about that when, you're, when you do blow, when you do mess up, you're like, yeah, I have blood on my hands. Yeah, I messed up. But it shows this great need for Jesus. I think when people can see the vulnerability and honesty about our sins, our short, that is actually a beautiful thing you can do in your legacy. Sometimes we can talk about people, remember people like they were Jesus. They weren't Jesus, but they always went to Jesus or preached Jesus. Like we have to see that's, that's what matters in this. So he's honest about his sins, his shortcomings. And then I love what he says in verse four. And here's like the third point I want to leave with this. This pattern he's leaving, he's not just making it sad. Like, and I have sins on my hand and woe is me. And he's actually focusing on what God has done in his life. Look at verse four. The verse says, yet, or however, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. Here's what I love. I'm not able to build God a temple. However, I want to focus on what God has done. However, I don't want to just paint this, like look at all that God has done. Sometimes one of the best things we can do, again, for people, for others, is just saying, look what God has done. Look how good God has been. God chose me not because I'm so worthy, but because he decided it's also like boasting in the humility. Like it's not like a lot of times you raise up a king or a champion based on like who's the best fighter, who's the best warrior. David was a shepherd boy that no one believed in. David was the guy in the sidelines. Like, I don't think that's the one. I don't think that's who we should choose. The point is God can choose. God can raise up. God can do what he wishes. God can do what he pleases. In reality, there's like a humility in this too, where it's like, God, you did this. You chose this. You worked this out. You get the glory. Not David. David doesn't get the glory for bringing Israel together. All 12 tribes united finally. That's not his glory. He's like, God, you did this. You chose. There's something so beautiful about also just reminding people again, Lord, you're the one who gets the credit. You're the one who gets the glory. I want to focus on all the things you've done, not not done. Too often people are like, well, why didn't God do this in my life? Why didn't God do that? And it's like, what can you actually thank God for? What has he done? All I've heard so far is what God hasn't done. What has he done? David's leaving them that. However, yet the Lord, and he's just saying, look what God has done. David is basically showing them this pattern where you need the presence of God. Let me be honest about my sins. Hey, look, but look at this. Look how faithful God has been. Look what he's done. He's leaving a beautiful pattern. Let's listen. Legacy leaves a pattern. Be thinking about that pattern you are leaving. What is that pattern you're leaving to others around you? Number two is simply this. Legacy leaves a purpose. Legacy leaves a purpose. Verse nine and 10 is beautiful. Basically, David has all the people gathered. He's speaking to all of them. Then in verse nine and 10, he's like, Solomon. And I can't imagine that moment, like father to son, looking at him. And he preaches, I think, a beautiful sermon to his son. So fathers, dads, moms, listen to this sermon he tells his son. Verse nine and 10. First Chronicles 28, verse nine. He says, and you, Solomon, look at that. He's talking to everybody. Then he goes, you, Solomon, my son, 
Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Sounds like a dad to a son. <laughs> I don't know. I love this. He's like, get to work. Now do it. But here's what he points out. I love what he's doing here. Notice the few like imperatives he gives him. He says, no God, no God. Not know the God of the universe, not know the God of Israel. What does he say? No God, my God. So I want you to know my God. You've seen that. You grew up around it. You can know God, but you've seen him in me. He's basically like, I've modeled this. He's not just saying, no God in some, you know, I know him in my theology. I know him in some theoretical sense. He's like, I want you to know my God, the God I worship. Can we say that? Can we say to your kids, can you say to people who are like, not, not just know the God of the Bible. Not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know my God. David is being really, he's like, son, you need to know my God. It's so personalized. It's so beautiful. Everything else stems from this. Everything we do or everything we are stems from this idea of knowing God. The most important thing for us really in life is to know God. In John 17, 3, Jesus is praying and he says, and this is eternal life that they may know you and your son. What is eternal life? What is eternity? Knowing God. Why does it take all of eternity? Because it takes all of eternity to know an eternal God. This is eternal life that they may know you. He goes, son, know my God. Know this God. Again, I, I just, I can't move on. Do you know this God? Do you personally know this God? Don't just think about a legacy. Do you know God? Not know about him. Do you know him? The book of 1 John, I feel like, is all about this. It's saying, like, yes, yes, you might know him. He uses these Greek words, like Iaido and Gnosko. He's like, you know him intellectually. You, you know him, but do you Gnosko him? Do you know him by experience? I think a lot of Christians, you know God, but do you know him? Have you experienced him? Can you say to someone, hey, know my God? He goes, Solomon, know my God. And then what does he say? And serve him. The second thing you put down is like, serve him. He goes, son, know him and serve him. Uh, I love this quote. Uh, a few different churches I just love, they have the saying they use. It's just a simply ministry must flow from intimacy. So know him and serve him. But the idea is it's not serve him and then you'll know him. It's know him and serve him. Because ministry must flow from this place of intimacy, must flow from this place of you know him. Why do you serve him? Because you know him. You don't serve him because you have to. There's this idea of like, kind of let go of any stipulation you have. Like, okay, God, since I'm serving you, if I serve you, then therefore you kind of have to answer my prayers a little bit different. Like, nope, there's no stipulations around it. It's like, God, I know you and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to let go of anything I had, any kind of mindset I had where like, but God, come on, I've been so faithful to you. Don't you owe me at this point in time? No. Then you're kind of missing the point. If you know him, you will serve him. And he says, know him and serve him with his whole heart, with his pure heart. Like in this idea of just like, I'm, I'm letting go of any sort of ill or mixed motives in this. I want to have a pure heart, God, and how I serve you. Again, a father to a son, he's like, this is it, son. Know him. Serve him from this pure heart. I love what Francis Schaeffer says. He says, biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Because it's one thing to know him and not do anything with that. 
but know him and serve him. Like, we can't just say, like, we, there's so many people who go, I have rich and deep theology, but their worship life is just absent. Or the way they care, like, it's so funny how people love scripture. I know, I know many people who love scripture and hate people. That does not add up. Does not make sense. <laughs> you can't do that. It's like, I love Jesus. I love his word. I hate that guy. I hate that person. Like, no, sorry. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. It's, it's opposite. If you, how can you say you love God whom you've seen and hate your brother whom you've not seen, right? That's what John's, it's like this idea that like this, there's intimacy connected to it. It's my knowledge of him leads to service of him out of a pure heart, willing heart. That's what he's getting at. It has to be that way. It is so sweet. And notice this idea. We are worshipers of God first before we're workers of God. So he's like, hey, know him. We are worshipers and then serve him. Then we're workers. Don't get that confused. First know him and serve him. Then he goes on, you guys see this before you, we'll throw up the verse in verse nine. He says, for the Lord searches the hearts and understands all the intent of the thought. And he says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. So notice his words, know him, serve him, seek him. These are actually, this is a great message. Like if you're gonna leave a legacy, if you're gonna like, hey son, here's your purpose in life. Wanna know your purpose? What's our purpose in life? Know God, serve him and seek him. That's a pretty good, like a little mini sermon he's given to his son. Know him, serve him, seek him. If you seek him, listen, he will be found. Do you understand? This still applies, obviously. Do you know if you seek God, he will be found? God is not like some cosmic bully that like people are like seeking him. He's like, can't find me. (laughs) Like that's not God. God wants to be found. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and what? And he will draw near to you. Jesus said in John 6, 37, he says, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Hey, son, if you seek him, you will find him. Do you know this personally? Like, if you seek God, you will find him. I've sought him. Have you? (laughs) Draw near to God. Be that persistent widow who goes, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. Jesus gives this analogy of persistent. Be that. If you seek it's not just like, I, I'm going to seek him from my couch. Like, seek him. You will find him. But, he says, if you draw away, if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. There is this idea of just seek him now while he may be found, Isaiah says. Seek him now while he may be found. If you have breath in your lungs, let me say this. Don't say, one day, when I'm older, deathbed-ish kind of time frame. No. <laughs> seek him now while he may be found. There is that idea of to seek him. Listen, he will draw near. I so believe it. Because you know why? He, he's here. I think sometimes we draw near to God. And we're like, I found God. And God's like, oh, I've always been here. <laughs> you didn't find me. Always been right there. <laughs> like, but just seek him. He will be found. Don't forsake him. This is still true. He'll cast you, cast you off as he says here. A dad to a son looking at him. And now think about this. He's probably, because we'll read in second, or First Kings 1. We'll see the transition. David's still around, but he's very sick. He provides someone to help take care of him. Like he's truly probably on death's door, even at this point. Very late in his life, First Chronicles 28. The point is, he's looking at his son, he's like, son, here's what I've learned. Know him, serve him, seek him. Don't forsake him. Hey, guess what? Get to work. Go build God a house. Do it. <laughs> be strong. Be courage. Do it. I love that. Just a dad. Now just get to work, son. It's great though. Uh, this is his advice. Hey, listen, we have a purpose. The purpose is to what? But what is David saying? Build God's kingdom. Build God's throne. I would say we have a very similar purpose, maybe different today. It's not to build a physical, literal temple, but it's to build his kingdom. Know your God, serve your God, seek your God, build his kingdom. This is like it. This is it. 
You can have passions in life. You can have other purposes in life. But what is your master passion? What is your master purpose? I'm not saying it's wrong. It's like become an expert at something, please. An expert in music or engineering or whatever it might like, become an expert at what your field is. Make that a really high purpose, but it's not your master purpose. It's not your master passion. Ultimately, it's to know him. Yes? Amen? You go, I can get really good at good. God will use that. Get really good at something. Become an expert at it. That is still not your master purpose. So listen, legacy leaves a pattern. Legacy leaves a purpose. Number three, legacy leaves a plan. We'll just read two of the verses. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, here's the plan. He says, then David gave Solomon his son the plan. Everyone say the plan. He gave him the plan of the vestibule of the, of the temple and of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms and its inner chambers and of the room for the mercy seat and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord. We'll just stop there. You can keep reading through verse 18. He's basically giving him the plan of what to do. All right, all the little details from that point. But he says, here's the plan. Here's the plan. And it says all that the spirit gave him to do. Just like you could say that the spirit of God gave Moses the, the outline of how the temple should look and how they should set up and tear down. David's getting the plan from the spirit, it says, for the temple. And he's giving this to his son. Here's the plan the spirit of God gave me. Actually, this is a really true point. If you're leaving a legacy, you must leave a plan, right? And there's so many ways you can talk about that or approach that. But leave a plan. That's pretty good. Actually, that's like, even for your kids. Like, it's good, not just a plan. I'm talking about, like, again, what you're leaving um, for them, but what you're leaving in them. But this idea of, like, hey, son, here's what you're going to do. I'm trying to leave you a plan. If you actually go on to 1 Chronicles 29, he talks about all of the gold that he's using to build everything. He's like, and here's the gold, and here's this treasury, and I'm pulling money for this. He's not just leaving him the plan, but he's preparing everything for him. He's like, here's the plan. I prepared everything. It's already there. It cost me a lot. It cost me a lot of time and energy and money, but here's the plan, and here's the preparation for this. Again, when you leave a legacy, it's important to do this. In a similar way, in the New Testament, we're told to build God's church, not with wood, hay, and stubble, but with what? Gold, silver, precious stones. So they're actually building the temple with gold. I think Paul plays off this in 1 Corinthians 3. He's like, we too are building a temple and don't build this with gold or with wood, hay, and stubble, but build this with gold, silver, precious stones. I want you to see this because we too are building a temple in a sense. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. I'll put the verse up here. He says, let each one take heed how he builds on it. Think Solomon. How are you building on it? What? For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is what? Which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Understand in Solomon's day, it's like, we're going to build with the best. Paul is saying the same thing. We're going to build on Jesus the foundation with the best. We're not going to give him second. We're going to give him the best. Not wood, hay, straw. Not temporary things. Not like half-truth things. We're going to build with the best things. We're going to build with gold. And then he goes, and it will be tested by fire. And each one that endures will receive a reward. This idea of build, son, build with the best. Give God your best. I'm doing that. You do that. Here's the plan. Here's the preparation. Give God your best in this. If you remember, actually in 2 Samuel 24, David has this moment where he's going to try to build a threshing floor for the temple, for the altar. He goes to this guy who's famous in building this. Maybe you know this phrase, but it's so profound. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel 24, 24. Uh, The guy says, David, you're building this for God in the temple. Let me give you the threshing floor. Let me just give it to you. Don't pay. What does David say famously? 
24, 24. He says, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. He says, no, no. See, to build for God requires sacrifice. To build for God requires generosity. He's basically saying, I don't want to, no, if I'm going to build something for God, I'm going to do it. I'm not, I don't want it to be for free. I want God to, like, I want, it's not because he's like some, you know, masochist. I, I just want to like feel the pain of it. He's like, no, because I want, God has given me so much. Freely I, I have received, freely I want to give. Freely I have benefited from the goodness and grace of God. I, I, ha, I, want to, I don't want this to be like, I want to feel it. When it comes to giving or generosity, you have to feel it. When it comes to this idea of planning and preparation, you have to feel it. David, again, went through extensive detail. Son, I got all of this ready for you. And not only that, by the way, we'll see in verse 20. I'm going to actually read verse 21, put up here. In verse 21, he goes, not only am I leaving all the things, but I'm leaving you all the, the people to get it done. This is fascinating. Let's hear me out. Verse 21, he says, here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also the leaders, all the people will be completely at your command. Look at verse 21. That's how the chapter ends. I'm putting this up here because he's like, I'm giving you the plan and I'm giving you the power to do it. Here's the people. What Jesus does is the same thing. Go and make disciples. Here's the plan. Make disciples of all nations. And I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it. There were servants to help build the house. We have the Holy Spirit, who's in many ways, the paracletus, that helper, that servant, the one who comes alongside and helps. He's like, I'm giving you the people to do it. And Jesus in a similar way goes, go and build this church. Go and build this new temple. Go and build this church. And I'm giving you the servants. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the people to do it. This idea of plan and preparation and God's sin, but I also want to empower you. I'm like giving you everything you need and I'm empowering you to do it. You're not alone in this. Don't try to build it on your own, Solomon. Here's the craftsmen. Here's the priests. Here's the Levites. You're not doing this alone. You're not alone in this. You have the Holy Spirit from high in you. I'm not saying go make disciples in the power of your strength because we will utterly fail. We're saying let's build God's church in the power of his spirit. Yes. And you're not alone. <laughs> There's other people around, Solomon. The servants, they're there. You're not alone in this. You need to hear that. You're not alone in this. God doesn't just give you the plan, but he gives you the empowerment. Yes? So listen, legacy leaves a pattern. It leaves a purpose. It leaves a plan. Lastly, this legacy leaves a promise. Look at verse 20. Here's the, here's the promise. Verse 20. David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Again, just the dad, do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Here's the promise. He's like, do it. God's going to be with you. God will be with you throughout all of this. You're not alone. It's this idea in Philippians 1 where Paul says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's this idea for us. God began a good work in you. Don't think that God has abandoned you. He will be with you until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, he will be with you, son. You see, you, you understand that this temple, and this is like the big picture. The temple was in a sense, a bridge from man to God and God to man. The temple was where God's glory dwelt, where God dwelt, his presence, his kabod, his weight, his glory. That's where the high priest would go in and, you know, basically connect with God once a year. And, but the idea was, this is where man goes to meet with God in some capacity. And here's the idea. He goes, he will be with you forever. But here's what's interesting. Solomon, if you guys know, after Solomon, we'll get to this, the kingdom divides and there's two kingdoms. Then eventually we'll see the Babylonians take over. Like we, you say, but wait, I thought Solomon's kingdom comes to an end. 
Then they have to like rebuild a new temple and they call it Herod's temple. Like what is going on? I actually, let's look at the, ver- the promise again, verse six. We'll throw it up here. He says, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts for I've chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. Wherever I will establish his kingdom forever. And we're like forever? But it kind of falls apart really soon after this. Like what is going on? What is this temple that is established forever? And then Jesus comes on the scene and he goes, see that temple? You destroy it and in three days I'll raise it up. Jesus saying, I'm the greater temple. I'm that. You destroy me, you crucify me. Guess what? In three days, I will raise up this. I will be raised, I'll, I'll be risen up. I will provide a new temple, a new way in which we meet with God. This idea of the temple, this bridge between man and God and God and man. Jesus goes, I'm that bridge. I'm the bridge between man and God and God and man. First Timothy 2 says, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is that new temple, that better temple, that mediator. He's the bridge. This, is, this temple established forever, this kingdom established forever, is ultimately found in the person of Jesus. He says, he goes, until it is finished. We'll put the phrase up again in verse 20. Until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. That's when Jesus comes on the scene and he's hanging on the cross and he says, what? It is finished. That's when the veil tears. This idea like, yeah, that work all those years ago, it's finished. I'm that temple. Now I live and dwell in you. Now this temple that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6 says, that God goes, now I live and dwell in you. It's not a matter of this physical place. I actually live and dwell in you. I, I can commune with you. You don't have to go travel some distance to meet with God. Do you know that? You don't have to travel some distance. Why? Because he lives and dwells in you. you know this? Ephesians 3, and I know people like, don't like this. Like, we try to get away from this idea. Like, don't say believe in Jesus and he'll live in your heart. I don't care. Flip, Ephesians 3 says, Jesus who dwells in your hearts. <laughs> Listen, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus dwells in us. This is how and where we commune with God. God's like, I want to meet with you. I love you. I, I'm, in you. I'm inside you. I dwell in you. You're mine. You're bought at a price. This is so beautiful. This is a better temple. The point of this, though, I'm trying to give is, with a legacy also comes a promise. God will be with you. Jesus gave us the same, the same promise. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, and lo, I am with you always. I'm with you always. Same promise. Do you know that? Do you cling to that? Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is with you? Do you believe the Spirit dwells in you? This legacy that he's leaving to his son is still a legacy that we have today in Jesus. He's with us always. Believe that. Receive that. Can I tell you something about David that I absolutely love? David was a really difficult guy to look at. Did some amazing things and some terrible, terrible things. The way the New Testament remembers David, though, in Hebrews 11, says David, a man of faith. The point of it is, it doesn't actually, here's what's fascinating, it doesn't actually mention David's sins. All Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Rahab, listen, they had some pretty gnarly backgrounds. The point is, in the New Testament, what does it remember? It remembers all the acts of faith they displayed. In Hebrews 11, not one sin is mentioned from this list of people who had a lot of sin to mention. Why is that? Because in Hebrews 8, 12, God says, uh, your sins I will remember no more. I don't remember it. David, you're a man of war, a man of blood, but can I tell you, everyone will remember you as a man of faith. Why? Because the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It's always been faith. You might have a lot of sin. You might have a lot of messed up, but can I tell you, what does God look at you? God says, hey, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. I don't remember that. I remember the finished work of the cross. I remember what I did for you on that cross. 
If you feel like I've gone too far, I've done too much, how could God ever accept me? Join the David Club and know this. God says to you, I will remember your sins no more. This is that legacy. The legacy you have is that you are forgiven and you are made a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Put your faith in Jesus, the better temple, the better king, the better sacrifice. It's Jesus. By his stripes we're healed. He doesn't remember Josiah Graves, the filthy sinner that I am, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's how he sees you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The legacy we have, we must fight for a pattern. We must have a plan, all that stuff. But ultimately, the legacy we leave, we will come and go. There's so many amazing men and women of faith who we don't even know their names anymore. And the beautiful thing, though, about that, the amazing thing about that, is because Jesus has always remained, because it's never been about them. It's never been about my legacy or your legacy. The legacy we get to be a part of is Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That this is Jesus's church. Again, I kind of said it five years. Thank you, Jesus. But you've already been doing it for a couple of thousand, right? You will build your, this is his church. He's building it. He's doing it. We get to participate. Thank you for that, God. Thank you that you're doing it and you can say, do you want to be used? Come on. And like, let's join him in that work. Yes, amen. Here's what I want to do. I just want to end with some worship, with some prayer, with some celebration. I want to invite you to know Jesus, serve Jesus, seek Jesus. Solomon's word, or David's words to Solomon, I think still are just fitting for us today. Know him, serve him, seek him with all of your heart, with a loyal heart. Don't forsake him. Go, build a house for God, do it. Be a part of the kingdom of Jesus. Yes, amen. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Just take a second. Say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to seek you. You tell me if I draw near, you will draw near. Let's do that. Take a second. You pray. You talk to him. Father, we, we thank you that you loved us first. We love you because you first loved us. That you sought us first that you left heaven and came to us. God, we thank you for this idea that, uh, of what we see with David. Him really giving this final message to the nations to say, God, we need your presence. Lord, we need your presence. We don't want to do church in our own strength. God, we don't want to do anything without you. Jesus, we ask that you would just be so seen, that you'd be the center, that you would be lifted up. That God, we'd not just seek to, to know more about you, but seek to truly know you. God, that we'd experience your presence. That God, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's something about being in your presence, God. God, that it, it brings joy. Because we're made by you, we're made for you. And if I just see that the misery I experience, we experience, is probably because of lack of your presence. So we just pray for your presence, Jesus, to be here. God, would you be here? Would you move? We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is that greater temple. God, we thank you for that promise that your spirit, that you're with us. Do not leave us. You'll not forsake us. God, we thank you for the legacy you've left us. Help us to learn. Help us to apply it. Help us to do a similar thing. But we boast in your legacy, Jesus. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, even if it feels like at times the church is losing. It's not. You've already won. You've already won. We thank you, God, that the church, this ecclesia, this bride, your body, Jesus, you're the head, that this church is immovable. <laughs> Nothing shall prevail. So Lord, we look to you 
and just celebrate you and say thank you. Thank you for our local expression in the body of Christ five years, but we thank you even more for the 2,000 years. We thank you even more for who you are and what you've done. God, we celebrate you now. We want to sing to you now. We want to just honor you now because this is all about you, Jesus. None of this matters without you. So we look to you and celebrate you in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys stand? Let's just worship Jesus. If you want prayer, we'll be up here. If you want to know Jesus, we'll love to talk to you. But we're here. Let's worship. Let's sing. Let's celebrate Jesus.